0: Welcome to the Scholarly Kitchen Podcast for August 14th, 2013. I'm Stuart Wills from Science Magazine. Innovation and change always breed opportunism, and to hear Jeffrey Beale tell it, the current ferment in scholarly publishing is no exception. Beal, a librarian at the Auraria Library of the University of Colorado, Denver has made a particular study of such opportunism as manifest in the activities of predatory open-access publishers, businesses that, like Vanity Presses, allegedly use the gold open-access model's author fee structure mainly to enrich themselves. He's on the line with me now from his office in Denver. Jeffrey, thanks very much for being with us today.
1: Hi, Stuart. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, within publishing circles, you are, of course, particularly well known for your list of predatory open access publications. Uh, Basically, these are gold open access publishers uh, without legitimate credentials that are exploiting the gold model for their own benefit. Uh, You started that list, I think, in late 2012, but I believe you'd been writing about the problem uh, previous to that for some time. What first got you aware of and interested in this problem?
1: Actually, I began the list in 2010 on a different blog, but it didn't get to be well known until the end of 2012. My current blog actually now has two lists, one of questionable publishers and one of questionable standalone journals that do not operate under the banner of any publisher. These are predatory mega journals. Hmm. I first started to become aware of predatory publishers in late 2008 and early 2009. I was on tenure track at the time and was always looking for venues in which to publish my research. And like many, I started receiving spam email solicitations at the time, inviting me to submit my work to new open access journals. I remember being surprised because the publishers' websites always seemed to say call for paper instead of the conventional call for papers. And I was, <laughs> I was wary of having to pay to publish also. I started a folder and printed off the spam emails I received and printed off some of the publishers' websites. In 2009, I published a review of the open access publisher Bentham Open in a journal called The Charleston Advisor, and I've continued my research since that time.
0: Well, let's talk about where things stand now. Uh, the list of of, op- of journals uh, on your site uh, seems to be uh, growing pretty rapidly. Uh, if I'm doing uh, the math right, it looks like we're up to more than 230 uh, journals here. So how do you actually find these? And, and, you know, when you found them, how do you determine whether they're, you know, whether they're the right sort of thing to be accorded this honor, if we can call it that?
1: Actually, the list of publishers is around 300. And the list of standalone journals, as you say, is at 235. I, I find them in several ways. One way is that I just stumble on them in the course of my research and writing and in my work as an academic librarian. Second, and most important, I find them because of a very kind network of concerned researchers who forward me the spam emails these publishers so often send out. These tips are very helpful to me in my work, and I'm grateful for them. I analyze each tip that I receive, and I have a set of criteria that I use in the analysis. The criteria were developed with help from many distributed scholars. They mainly look at two broad areas, deceit and lack of transparency. The individual criteria look at these two things at a tighter level. The worse a publisher is, the easier the analysis is for me. If I observe Mm -hmm. lots of deceit and little transparency, it's easy to determine that a publisher or a journal belongs on one of the lists. For example, if a publisher lies about his headquarters location, claims its journals have impact factors when indeed they do not, and promises a five-day peer review turnaround time, then I see a pattern of deceit and add them to my list.
0: Well, you've obviously evaluated many situations now uh, in the course of doing this, and you mentioned deceit and lack of transparency as your criteria. Are there any situations that, that you know, have struck you as especially uh, outrageous or, or really stood out in terms of their oddness or how troubling they were in the course of doing this?
1: Yes, I continue to have publishers emailing me and asking me to include them on my list Apparently, they think I have a comprehensive list of (laughs) journals or my list is some sort of abstracting and indexing service. (laughs) And second, I'm still surprised at how few people understand the negative aspects of self-plagiarism. Some see it as perfectly acceptable. If you want to reuse your own work, that's fine, but please put it in quotation marks and cite it properly. You can't just take seven paragraphs from your last paper and paste them into your new one without proper self-attribution. And further. I'm also trying to understand the Nigerian practice of using strange names for publishers. We have wino journals, woodpecker journals, greener (laughs) journals, and purple journals, all from Nigeria. Apparently, they find Western company names boring, but this practice using salient names doesn't transfer well to the scholarly publishing industry, where the Convention is to have more serious names. <laughs>
0: That's right. It's boring and, and, uh, and institutional a name as you can get,
1: probably. Exactly. And, and finally, the increasing number of business journals is amazing also. So many people have business degrees, so they do what they're taught, and they start an open-access business journal publishing operation. There are dozens and dozens of journals with variations on the titles, Journal of Business Management, Journal of Finance, Journal of Management Science, and the like. Old open access publishing can be highly profitable because so little upfront investment is required. Mm. So everyone and his brother is starting up an OA publisher these days, especially in the business field. Well,
0: I guess in addition to emails you know, asking uh, to be added to your list, uh, you've gotten some other kinds of emails as well. I understand, for example, that you've been threatened with lawsuits several times by publishers who, uh, who weren't that happy being on the list. Where does all that stand?
1: Well, none of the threatened lawsuits has gone beyond the threat stage. Mm-hmm. I think the threats themselves bring unwanted scrutiny on the publisher making the threat, and that publicity exposes their deceit and lack of transparency and ultimately threatens their income.
0: Hmm. Well, I'd like to step back and think uh, about this work in the context of open access more generally. Um, in an article about a year ago in the Scientist, you suggested that uh, what you what I think you called uh, o- overzealous open access advocates, uh, particularly of gold open access, were creating an environment that was that was kind of ripe for this type of abuse. Yet it seems clear that you're not against open access per se, and you've suggested. That's something you call platinum open access, where there are no author fees at all and, and the costs of publication are presumably underwritten by grants or subsidies or donations from others, uh, is really the ideal model. Where, where do you see all of this going, though? Is, is there a way to construct an open access publication environment that isn't ripe for this kind of predation and, and, and maybe more important to make it sustainable?
1: Well, I think too many open access advocates have been ignoring or minimizing the weaknesses of the gold open access model, and this practice gives a sort of carte blanche to the predators to continue their exploitative work. I recognize and value the benefits of open access. I practice green open access and upload as many of my published works as I can to ELIS, E-L-I-S, which is ePrints and Library and Information Science. It's mm-hmm. the disciplinary repository for library science. I've also benefited from open access by not having to pay for books and articles that I would otherwise have to pay for. And there's growing evidence that there's a citation advantage for OA publications when compared to publications published behind a paywall. But gold open access has a built-in conflict of interest. There's just no other way to state it. The more papers a gold open access publisher accepts, the more money it makes. And as long as gold OA is considered a valid model, there will be many who will exploit it. Platinum open access, which is free to the reader and free to the author, does not have this conflict of interest, so this model publishes significantly less research misconduct than the gold open access journals do. And finally, with regards to your question, is there a way to construct an open access publication environment that isn't ripe for uh, this kind of predation and to make it sustainable? The answer is no, not in the current environment. The best way to seek the environment you describe is to return to the subscription model, which is focused on readers and not on the authors. The transition to open access is causing scholarly communication to lose some of the great benefits of the traditional model, such as validation and a focus on readers, the consumers of research.
0: Well, with the time we have remaining, I, I guess I thought I'd like to turn to a few other issues that you've been writing about on your blog lately. Uh, you had an interesting post recently on article level metrics, which you referred to as uh, an ill-conceived and meretricious idea. And there was a lot of discussion of this uh, in various forums. Uh, why is it an ill-conceived and meretricious idea?
1: Well, first, I'm delighted that you found the essay interesting. Uh, every day I see increasingly large, uh, the increasingly large corrupt side of the scholarly publishing industry. I see corrupt authors, corrupt publishers, and other bogus and corrupt companies that are inventing new ways to rip off researchers and consumers of research. Article-level metrics will be nullified by gaming. People already game Google Scholar citations, they game Facebook likes, and they game scholars with bogus journals. Even the promoters of the various article-level metric schemes admit that the metrics are subject to gaming. It's great that people are trying to experiment with new metrics, but in the current environment, I don't see how they can be prevented from being influenced from dishonest people and companies.
0: Well, you also look a lot at the issue of plagiarism. Uh, a lot of publishers are attempting to combat plagiarism through uh, automated uh, plagiarism detection software uh, as, a, as a service. Uh, you had a great post earlier this year uh, titled, Five Ways to Defeat Automated Plagiarism Detection. Um in your own examination of the literature, how big a problem is this uh, plagiarism? And, you know, how do we uh, combat it if, if, uh, if the automated uh, schemes are, are, you know, are, are themselves vulnerable to being fooled?
1: Well, plagiarism is a giant problem in scholarly communication, and it's growing as is self-plagiarism. As I indicated, automated plagiarism detection doesn't always work. It's often possible to manually find plagiarism in articles that have past plagiarism detecting, uh, detection with a passing score. Uh, the predatory publishers have facilitated plagiarism because they intentionally overlook it in favor of getting the article processing charges. Mm-hmm. So gold open access is effectively increasing the amount of plagiarism in published research. Yes, it also happens in subscription journals, but I think it's less frequent there and the consequences are more severe. I don't know how we can combat it. I don't have a solution at this time. I think it will keep increasing.
0: Well, I understand you'll be doing, uh, you you know, you've mentioned uh, your own research uh, a couple of times. Uh, I understand you'll be doing a research sabbatical in 2014. What uh, do you plan to investigate, if I could ask?
1: Well, I hope to carry out research that determines the exact number of predatory journals on the one hand, I also want to carry out some discipline-by-discipline studies of predatory publishers and journals. For example, I'd like to look at scholarly journals in nursing and see what proportion is predatory and how the predatory journals have affected the communication of scholarship in the field.
0: That's interesting. So uh, nursing in particular, are there certain fields that seem to be more uh, prone to this than others?
1: I think there are. I already mentioned the business field. Overall, it's any field where... uh, where the research is grant funded uh, attracts the predatory publishers because they're going after the money and the people with grants have money often money set aside in the grant budget for uh, the article processing charges so that's where the predatory publishers are
0: Jeffrey Beal, thanks very much
1: Thank you, Stuart
0: And thank you for dropping in to the Scholarly Kitchen podcast for August 14, 2013 Be sure to visit scholarlykitchen.sspnet.org, where every day some of the sharpest minds in scholarly publishing detail, discuss, and debate the trends shaping the business. You can also comment on this podcast episode on its blog page, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks to the Society for Scholarly Publishing for its support of this project, and for hosting our audio files, and to the American Association for the Advancement of Science for use of its studio and production facilities. This is Stuart Wills from Science Magazine. Until next time, on behalf of SSP and all of the chefs in the scholarly kitchen, Bon Appetit!